Hey guys, welcome again to the Salt City Church podcast. It's great to have you all joining us here this afternoon. I'm coming at you again live from my 2004 Honda Odyssey minivan. And I'm excited. You know, there's some things that I don't like about my life right now, as you probably have some things that you don't like about your life. But right now I'm I'm fully content. I've got my sweatpants on. I've got my Birkenstock sandals with uh, socks on. And I'm about to talk to my good friend, Terry Langlin. So all is good in the world. Terry, how you doing, man? Hey, what could go wrong? I'm doing great, Drew. We're, we're chatting live and, uh, and yeah, I'm just excited that you picked from the, the poor and the weak to be on your podcast today. Hooray. Feel it, like I'm chosen. It is great. To, it's great to have you here and it's great to hear you say hooray. So the first question is kind of a, a bottom shelf question. So, you know, you're, I referred to you earlier as Terry, but if, if you're in the lobby of Salt City or, you know, around town, more than likely somebody is going to call you Crooked T. And so I got to know, where did the nickname Crooked T come from? Oh boy, it was a, we were headed to some national park with my kids and some friends and and we were just laughing and having a good time and and people were <laughs> were coming up with rap handles for for each other, you know, and just kind of and I had a pair of sunglasses on Drew that only had one bow. So they were just <laughs> they were they were crooked on my face and someone suggested crooked T and it stuck and so there's no there's no great uh, slum story behind it, no fame, just crooked sunglasses. Have you ever at any point in your life listened to rap music? Um, against my will, I have. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I have, I have a, a slowly growing appreciation for it, but I was, I was one of the older guys who just thought, that's not music. Come on, but but I realized that it really is a rich expression that might grow on me like green beans. I don't know. We'll see. I hope it does. I hope like around <laughs> seventy or eighty, you yes. just become a big rap fan. That would that would benefit us all in some way. I think. Well, um, and yeah, I'm married to a girl that could push me that direction for sure. Young and feisty, you know, that's good. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, Terry, so, you know, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you as a member of Salt City Church the past couple of years, as an elder, um, as a friend, as a mentor, as a guy I look up to. And one of the things that, that I've enjoyed uh, hearing you talk about is just your life before Christ. You've given kind of snapshots of that. But would just love to hear kind of what was life like for you before coming to know Jesus? And then how how did that take place? What was the process like of you coming to know him? I was raised in a Christian home, kind of a typical story for many Americans. Um, 
my mom was the spiritual leader. My dad was not engaged in my early childhood. And she was a member of a really legalistic, super strict denomination that had, you know, we sang great hymns that had the gospel in it. And I'm sure that there was teaching about Jesus' righteousness, but the, the way it played out in our church was God will forgive your past, but you better get your act together for the future, you know, because you owe him. He's done a lot for you. Mm-hmm. So I tried. I I was all in as a young man and uh, went to Christian schools and, and really tried to be that good guy. But the truth is I am uh, a rebel at heart, not just theologically, but literally. I, I just kind of you give me a rule and a boundary. I want to try to figure out what's so consequential about that. So, we totally bond in Christ, but we also bond on that reality. Yeah. Just that rebellious nature. It's easy to spot one when you are one, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway, what happened is in my middle teens, I was getting really disillusioned. I was seeing a lot of hypocrisy and lack of joy. Um, and it was sort of like, I don't, why would I want what you have, you know? And, and so after failing and trying to be the good guy and the stay at home brother, I did go through a period of just finding out what else the world has to offer because religion just wasn't cutting it at all. So it was a, an intense pursuit of pleasure and, and, uh, and I, I would have wanted to be famous and wealthy and everything else. That didn't play out. But I, I, if you were going to be famous for something, what would it have been? Oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any vision of that. I just wanted people to think highly of me. You know, it didn't matter what the vehicle was or, you know, it, so, so it wasn't as focused. But when you chase sin hard, you end up suffering the consequences. And my life just kept getting unglued relationally and physically. And I was in a drug use and abuse uh, mode at that time. And my brother, my older brother, Van, um, trying to retrace these steps, around Christmas time, he was a few years ahead of me on the same journey, Drew. And, and his life had, he had a, a lot of, a lot of failures. And he went to a series of meetings on a weekend, amazed, it amazed me that he was choosing to go to some religious gathering, but it was the gospel. And over the next nine months or so, I saw a change in him that was, you know, like being healed. Uh, it was just uh, a totally different set of priorities and so less selfish and so less proud. I mean, I just, he wasn't perfect at all, but he was just a different guy. And that fall, he and I took my sister down to college in Lincoln, Nebraska, driving. We were just, I don't, I don't know why we were the designated drivers, but on the way back, it was an eight hour drive at, at that time. Um, and he just graciously shared the gospel from his perspective, from Eden to Eden. Here's what happened. We got lost. 
and and then there's some consequences and there's some really poor choices and in towards the middle end of the book jesus comes and lives for us and dies for us and end of the book is eden restored and i I, I realized that Jesus was the hero of the story and, and he had done what I couldn't do, but wanted to do. And so it was a, it was the intro into, I might want to check out a relationship with God. And so that, that literally it was, it still took probably six months or a year of me saying, oh, maybe I, maybe I can live without this, that, or another thing. But Jesus started filling my life in ways that nothing else has. So. Do you remember your first experience of reading the Bible for yourself and it just coming off the page for you? Do you remember what the first book of the Bible you read or maybe a section of scripture that Sucks. you read where you were just like, man, this was life-changing for me? Remember, this was in a different millennium that we're talking about here. So you're, you're, trying, you're trying to pin me down to a distinct memory. I have a feeling he might have pointed me to just the Gospel of John and just mm. said, why don't you read that um, and just commit to five minutes in the morning? You know, because he was, he was trying to disciple me. Uh, he's a little bit ahead of me. He wanted me to discover some ways to actually nurture the relationship with Jesus. And so I would guess that that's maybe where it was, Drew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love just uh, your description of seeing that Jesus was the hero of the story, because I mean, what a way, I, I so relate to that aspect of your story, growing up in church, and feeling that at a time and then just right. feeling like a miserable failure. What has the process been like, you know, of just kind of undoing some of that religious mindset? Because we both know that at conversion, mm -hmm. it's not just like, oh, I believe in Jesus. And now that old way of thinking is completely gone from me, or even that our sin is completely gone from us. So what has that been like for you over the years to learn to walk in the truth that you so beautifully first believed? Well, thankfully, the relationship is based on being loved in spite of who I am, not because of who I am. You know, that it's God's heart loving me so that he can, so that he can adopt me and call me his own so thankfully i had that grounding that i that i don't need to prove anything to god and there's a saying that's been helpful to me and that is that god is never disillusioned with me because he never had any illusions about me and and so <laughs> you know there's that uh ground for repentance so there there is a desire, new desires when we receive Christ to be like him and to love for his namesake and to turn away from sin. But there's the old man that that is so alive and well still. So for me, it's just a gradual process, genuinely of learning that sin genuinely can't satisfy me and it will hurt me. And that God has 
because Jesus is alive and he's interceding for me, can give me new mind, new heart, new desires. So it's really, it's, it's probably like dieting or exercise or training for a sport or pick anything. There's a progressive improvement um, as long as you just stay in the game, keep changing your diet, go to the gym, whatever, whatever it is we're talking about, spiritual life is so similar to physical life. I mean, many of the principles are, are parallel, in my opinion. Can you give a couple more examples of that, of, of spiritual life being similar to physical life? Oh. Like what are some things that immediately come to your mind as other examples of that? Well, my relationship with Jane is so tied into my intentional engagement with her. You know, if I'm listening to what she says, if I'm asking questions that imply that I care, if I'm choosing to spend time with her, that's elective, not, not you know, a duty that we're doing together. Our marriage is more rewarding, more fulfilling, and we anticipate it more. And so the relationship with God is no different than with our friends, our teammates, our spouses, our children. Mm. You get out of it what you put into it. So so, so really, I, have, I, I don't have uh, a legalistic attitude towards reading the Bible. You know, I know, I know it's, it would be like, honestly, like do like exercise. I never feel like, oh, I want to work up a good sweat. But I have, <laughs> I, have, I have realized that that initial pain is followed by a, a lot of benefit, you know. And so, hmm. um, so I know my heart is most content when I am experiencing the love of God for me, you know, just um, in the future that he has planned for me. So there's this hope for the future and there's this present fulfillment. And so I go to that, I, you know, I, so I know I'm not, so don't get the wrong impression. I'm not this fitness guru guy, but I have friends who are. <laughs> and I admire them. <laughs> well said well said yeah, something and, something terry that i've as i've gotten to know you that i've found as a, a regular practice of your life is reading the psalms and that's rubbed off on me you know i would say i had kind of fits and starts in the psalms but for a couple months now pretty consistently i've been kind of starting with the psalm of the day and and going by every 10 or every 20 or every 30 and actually this morning uh found myself in Psalm 46. And there okay. was just this verse that I immediately thought of you. It's Psalm 46 toward the end. And it just said, God is for me. Right. And that, that's just this theme. I, I mean, even your, your countenance, even right now is just lighting up when mm. I say that. And, yeah. and you have reminded me of that. And, and I almost see that as your life message. Why do all of us need that reminder hmm. so much? Just that, just I, I just want you to to talk about what you think of when you think of God being for you. Hmm. Well, so many stories in the Bible have a supernatural element in it. You know, like just a miraculous deliverance or a healing or, you know, last week's sermon calling a 
dead, decaying man to life. Um, so if someone whose word is creatively powerful and life-changing is for me and he calls me his own, then that gives me huge confidence that um, in spite of myself, there's hope. And you know, you and I were talking a day or two ago and, and you asked me, what's the most disillusioning thing you've ever gone through? And, and I, from my heart, and it would still feel the same, the most disillusioning thing has been myself, that, that I am not who I wish I was. And I have, I have intentions and goals and, and, and desires and ambitions, but I'm not that man that I want to be, but God is for me. And the story still hasn't ended. You know, I'm, I'm still in the fight with the, a great in a great tag team. So um, that's that's why that's good news for me. That is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, just that we are just so pathetic so much of the time, and we see God affirming that reality <laughs> throughout the Bible. He reminds us that, that we, we're not all that, but he loves us. I mean, you know, you, you love this verse too, Romans 5, 8, you know, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, yeah. Christ died for us. And that's the power of the gospel. But it's one thing to believe that intellectually. And I think what's so beautiful about the way that you described it is, it's just, you've spent some years living in that reality. And, and I would love to, to ask you some questions about specifically how that has impacted different areas of your life. So you mentioned Jane earlier and um, you know, we've talked how you guys are very different. Like many married couples, you're on the mm -hmm. opposite end of personality spectrums, introvert, extrovert, just um, the way you, conduct your life and enjoy conducting your life but i i see you uh really seeking to as scripture commands us to live with um our wives in an understanding way and how have you grown over the years in doing that what was what was your marriage like at first versus what it is like now because of the change that god has done in you Great question. We were madly in love before getting married. And when we got married, my wedding day was a highlight reel. Um, and then, and then we're living together and we're married to <laughs> not so good of people. So we, we had thankfully um, some good counsel and my expectation of what I thought Jane would do in our relationship and hers of me were pretty close. So we didn't have huge friction and massive disappointments, but there's that just genuine reality of in our core, uh, when we're tired and in any time, we're selfish and proud. So we had some tough communication time, some, some icy, cold stern you know we never never talked about divorce that wasn't on the table but we sure knew we weren't having fun at the moment 
But there was uh, a pivot point, I think, in our relationship that I still need to uh, lean on is trusting her heart is for me. You know, you talked about God being for me. So when she would say or do something that was disappointing or frustrating or made me mad, I had been taught by a, a counselor to, well, where's her heart at, Terry? You know, maybe you're misconstruing this or maybe it's a momentary thing like you've done. And so just that reframing, the new context of analysis really has been a huge help in us um, reconciling quicker, getting over stuff. Mm. You know, so um, I would say that plus just having been loved so unconditionally by God gives a new mm -hmm. category and, and an inspiration. I, I want to be like that. So I pray, I pray in that behalf. You know, God, help me love Jane like I've been loved. And there's slow improvement. I, our relationship is better now than it's ever been. And so we're 27 years into it. I wish it were longer. I look, I'm looking forward to 35 and 44, 52. I, I just, I love one of my favorite things, you know, it's, it's the little things about church. You know, I, I love to preach the Bible. I love to, to talk to people in the lobby. I love to worship. But one of the, the fun dynamics that just came to my mind as you were talking about that is you know the difference between the you and jane is you know you're always talking late after church you're you're in a circle and what will often happen is you know I'll, you'll even leave after me sometimes which is impressive and and so i'll be i'll be there talking and and i'll say goodbye to you and then i'll walk out and jane will be in the car you know because she's more of an introvert but i'm not saying that to out you but yeah. I always love just, I, I look at the, the dynamic because there's no, um, there's no friction or tension in that for you. You guys can both like in, enjoy the differences that are there in each other and, and delight in that. And I think about like my early marriage, because Melissa and I have the same, the same kind of dynamic. And I think of myself just being mad that Melissa wasn't like me. And I think I've taken like steps in that direction, but it's just so, uh, it's just so cool to see uh, mature love. And, and I, I just admire you guys so much and I'm, I'm so thankful for your example to Melissa and I, and also to our church, because you're not, what you're not saying is, well, we just, we don't have flaws anymore. Or we don't sin against each other or whatever. What you're saying is we've come to delight in each other, the way that God has delighted in us. And, and I just, I love it, man. That's great. Well, yeah. It, it can be the best or the worst. And, <laughs> and by God's grace, you know, he wants us to experience what relationship with Jesus is like. So he's, He's that third strand, and 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 I'm here by His grace too. You know, I I I'm not writing a book on marriage. I'm writing. I would write a, a a pointer to Jesus. He really can make that relationship work. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so you talked talk about marriage. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit for, kind of from the same perspective about parenting. You know, uh, you mentioned at our elder meeting on Tuesday, just some things that you've learned about being a dad. And one of the things that you mentioned was that as a young dad, you found yourself being more permissive and that as you matured and grew as a dad, you learned to kind of appropriately discipline your kids and lead them in a different way. How has the gospel and just your relationship with God helped you become a better dad? Well, to be honest, I, um, I, boy, I could talk for another half an hour about lessons that I've learned and, and things that I wish I had done differently. Um, I, I compared raising children to a garden where all your soil is filled with weed seeds and they're what grow naturally, right? Mm. And, and, and yet I know that this can turn into a good plant that I love and enjoy and so on. So um, parenting is impossibly hard and we won't do it well unless we learn that loving them for the long term is what they really need. They need to have boundaries in their lives. They need to have correction when they're, they're in, in a behavior mode that you know is going to sabotage future relationships. And so it really, you know, kids that get what they want when they want it, we just, the default term is they're spoiled. They're just spoiled. So in parenting, you are loving really well when you wisely put boundaries in your children's life and then enforce them. I might, I know my mom <laughs> spanked me. It was part of the discipline thing. And she would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't buy it. But I know now as a parent, it's hard. It's hard to parent well because the easy thing is to just let the behavior and the attitude and the indulgence kind of go. That's the easy path. So God dis disciplined me. He lets consequences land in my life. So I discover he's right. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so um, just like all the, the heroes of faith in the Bible, the authors have written to us and said, God disciplines you out of love, from a position of love, not, not out of frustration, but no, I want you to have the best future you can have. Mm -hmm. Spe speaking of which, and this is the last kind of, uh, you know, serious question we have time for, and then I'll give you some, some fun questions, but, um, you know, God as, as father who disciplines us, what do you sense that God is doing through the current circumstance that we find ourselves in? Do you have any just kind of um, perception of kind of things that have come up in your own life or the life of those around you that he is trying to weed out, that he 
wants us to repent of? That's another long answer. The shorty is that God promises to cause all things to work together for good. So all things includes the COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, it includes tsunamis. It, it includes famine and unemployment and every other category of, well, I wish that weren't happening. So, so there's that promise that he can cause it to all work for good. Um, I, I imagine there's some theologians now who would say that this is judgment. This is God's judgment. Um, I'm, not, I'm not an insider enough to know to what degree it is or isn't. Um, mm. But I just know that one of the things that we're discovering is that relationships are really fulfilling. And when we're, mm. when those aren't uh, enabled, that our lives shrivel. And, um, and so one of the things that we're discovering is, no, I, I should be investing in relationships in my life. That's what's meaningful. It isn't that I work longer hours or, or get a better manicure or whatever, but it's relationships that are ultimately what's been satisfying me. And, and we're just being weaned from the things we're discovering. There's a restlessness in my heart that even more time and more sleep isn't taking care of. And um, if I don't have something that grounds me in what the future holds, I can live in a state of fear. And that just is unhealthy and unfun, just super unpleasant. So I think the, the pointer is build your house on the rock, not on sand. So yeah, those rich relationships with with other people, and also with God. Yeah, yeah. The, the build your house on, on the rock is clear pointer in my brain when I say that to God, that, that mm. that's the only place that has a guaranteed happy future. Mm. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Terry. That's that's a beautiful answer. That's helpful. Um, okay, three fun questions to end here. I've kind of been asking everybody. Okay, I know you love Jane and you're enjoying your quarantine in a lot of ways. I don't, yeah. I don't think you've been discontent in it, but if you could add one person from history for the rest of the time that you're sheltering in place, who would it be? Oh, wow. Um, I, I feel kind of conflicted and I would say John, the author of the book of John and Revelation, because my heart's desire now is to know Jesus in the way that it seems like he did. You know, it was his priority. And, and, I, and I would just love to have him mentor me and, and, and just teach me. And the other thing, the other guy that came to mind was Abraham Lincoln. Because um, what a tough time in our history he presided over. And he brought uh, oppositional thought leaders together in an effort to try to figure this out for the good of our country. And, and he was, he was a, I, I think, a good husband in terms of uh, Mary wasn't always easy to love, but he had a he, you know, he was committed in that regard. And so I, I just think that he would be a fascinating guy to learn from. Uh, Could give you some good perspective, having gone through what he went through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and even more, you know, kind of 
basic question here. If you could have one food for the rest of the time that you were sheltering in place, you could only eat one meal, what would it be? Uh, I knew this question was coming and I honestly draw a blank. I'm not a foodie. I love good food. Jane has become a good cook and we eat a lot of different kinds of food. Um, I went through a year of treatment for hep C that didn't come up in this at all, but spaghetti was one thing during that year that I could eat and feel good. And, mm -hmm. and I love, I love Jane's spaghetti, but there isn't, I, I'm not a foodie. I, I do enjoy good food, but I, I really eat to live. So, okay. Sorry, so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll count spaghetti as your answer. <laughs> okay. For two points, spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last question is you know none of us can leave our our homes right now we can't go to any concerts or sporting events or restaurants so if you could you know remove the shelter in place remove COVID-19 for four hours and you could go to any concert or sporting event or restaurant where would you go and who would you go with oh man I so I wouldn't go to any of the above I would um I went, a good friend of mine, Perry and I were chaperones, the, the adults on the team for a high school group, mission trip down to Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And we shared life together, just close, like 15 in the back of a pickup. And mm. we had cool ministry moments, cool prayer time, cool worship. We played beach volleyball and we went on whitewater rafting trip. And it was just relationally powerful in the sun, warm weather, excitement, ministry. It was just, it had every component. Um, and Josh, my son was there. That was cool. So so it was a win-win. And I would do something with people that I love that's active and warm and, and, and I'd be totally happy. Awesome, awesome. Terry, thanks so much for your time, man. I just, I feel the same way that I always do when we hang out, which is just, uh, encouraged and um and i mean that in a way of like the the courage to walk into my life with grace and i'm just really thankful for that and and would just ask that you'd end our call by just praying for those from salt city that are watching or listening and, and those outside just that uh we would know that god is for us would you just uh, end our time by praying? You bet. Dear Lord, what a gift that we can come to you, that we can pray, that we don't have to go to a specific place or face a certain direction, but you are with us and you're for us. And I just begin with thanking you that that's our reality. And God, I, I lift up humanity who are so many different cultures and situations. But all of our need is for you to find out that you are good, that you have planned a future for us that's better and richer and deeper and longer than we could even imagine. So God, I just ask for your spirit to be poured out in a way that in each of our lives, we see you in a new way, that you restore our joy and, 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 and call out new faith and bring your kingdom into a fuller 
happier position with you. So thank you, God, that you are for us. It's our only hope, but it's real. So we praise your name. Amen. All right. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. And, and thanks for all of you who tuned in for joining us too. Hope to see you next week on the podcast. We're going to be joined by an author, theologian by the name of Zach Eswine next week, who wrote a great commentary on Ecclesiastes that I read. And so look forward to the conversation with him. And hopefully you can join us next Thursday at noon.